is acknowledged, where we give him place, where we give him praise, he shows up and inhabits those praises. So we lift our hands to you. Father God, we worship you as the Lord God Almighty, the creator of all things. There's nothing that we encounter that is greater than you. It may be greater than us. It may be overwhelming to us, but it is not greater than you are. You are the Almighty God. And you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you saw us separated from you. And in that separation, we became weak concerning the enemy. And you saw that weakness. And because of your great love, knowing the only way that we could fulfill what you created us to do was to be joined with you. So you sent Jesus to die for us. That the power of sin would be broken, that we might be reunited with you in relationship as sons and daughters. We thank you for loving us. Jesus, thank you for becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That our sin might be paid for. And the only way that it could be paid for, by your spotless blood. We thank you for not leaving us here as you ascended without help and without hope, but you sent the Holy Spirit of God to live on the inside of us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our midst, not just with us and amongst us, but as you are in every believer, that you show yourself today. Begin to show up change. Begin to teach as only you can teach of the things of God. Take the things that are spoken today and make each person aware of where they are in their station of life and how with wisdom to apply the word that they truly might rise above the strategies of the enemy. For the day we live in is a day and a time that you have spoken of even in times past. For us to arise and to shine. As the light shines in the midst of darkness, darkness must be dispelled. So I thank you that you are working in every one of us. That we truly might live out the very life of God before others around us. Wherever we work, wherever we play, wherever we come together. That we are ever conscious of your living on the inside of us. And show forth that goodness, that love, that peace, that joy. That the glory of God might be seen in your goodness that will lead people to change their mind about you. I thank you that because of our gathering together and what people hear today and your guidance in their life, that others will be born again and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Give us that heart for others that we would desire to walk in that ministry of reconciliation like never before desiring and seeing those around us lost and, and struggling, that we would, with love, begin to share the gospel, something that they may not know how much you love them, that you gave your life for them. So grant unto your servants boldness that we might speak the word of God, that we might stretch forth your hand and signs and wonders would be wrought in the name of Jesus. So we thank you for our gathering together that you equip us, you teach us, you strengthen us for the days to come that we truly might step into that ministry that you've called each one of us to. So we thank you for it. We thank you for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it is a great day to be with you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe God is doing great things, not only for you, but he's doing something in you by the Spirit of God. He wants to do something through you so that others might experience his goodness. And so it's so good to be with you. I believe that God has some great things uh, to share with us today by the Spirit of God. Why don't you look at somebody next to you, say, the life of God dwells in me, the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Once again, great to be with you all uh, this morning. Praise God. We had a great time in the first service. And uh, whenever we come together uh, you know, as a family, we've been teaching on the local church, uh, the power of the body of Christ, and certainly it expands, but we've been spending some time uh, seeing how the local church, how that uh, brings forth and is part of the, really the universal, eternal uh, church of God. And so as we come together, he shares many different examples with us. One of those is the family of God. There's the church and and the body and the, the bride of Christ, the building of God, but the family of God. And when we come together as family, and many times we get to uh, enjoy a family event. And today is one like that we had in the first service. And then today, it's always such a blessing as we begin to see families come into the church and uh, they continue, uh, you know, maybe they get married, maybe they're a young couple, and as they stay, we get to see how they develop, how they serve God, how they, their family uh, comes about, and, uh, and their children growing and, and serving God, and, and uh, we get to be a part of that in, in baby dedication. And so we're blessed uh, today to be able to uh, actually have two baby dedications. And so I want to share just a couple of things with you uh, before the Colsons come and Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And so in a baby dedication, we're not just saying, well, here's my baby. And uh, would you dedicate them to the Lord? And I hope everything goes okay. But the parents are coming and they're saying, listen, we believe in God. We believe in what he's done for us. Again, this is the, you may say, well, that's the Old Testament. But Jesus said, this is the same thing that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus said that. <clears throat> and so we take that, and then he said, you take this love for God and the things that God has put in his word and commanded us, and you teach them to your children. <clears throat> Excuse me. You teach them to your children, not just on Sunday morning when you can send them to children's church. In a dedication, we as parents are saying, God loves me, I love God with everything that I am. And I know the importance of a relationship with God. I know the generational plan that God has. Because he always declares generations, Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. He always sees the beginning from the end. And so he said, teach your children. And it says, you know, not just on Sunday morning. He says, be diligent about it and talk to them when you sit in your house. That's a novel thought. Talk to your children. And talk to them about God. You know, no matter what their age is, we can talk to our children. We can go outside and you can look at the bugs. You can look at nature. You can, uh, and still talk about God. You know, we, we, you know when they take, take each other's toys, we can talk about God and the love of God and the goodness of God. It says when you sit in your house. He said when you walk by the way. When you're just out walking, when they're with you in the grocery store and things are happening, you can tell them. You can talk about how God supplies for you. You can talk about, God says, talk about me. Why does he say that? Why does he want us to talk to our children and raise our children? Because God loves your kids more than you do. And God has a plan for your kids that you may not even know about yet. So he says, listen, you put me in their forefront of their thinking so that they can follow me. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he's old, they'll not depart from it. So our training them in the way that they should go is so important as they walk through life. We're not just thinking about our busyness of life. We're thinking about their future and how they're going to handle the things of life. And so often we just bring them to church, but in the way, when we rise up, when we lay down, we're not talking to them about God. And so if if they have anything like, why do we go to church if we live the rest of our life this way, many times they depart from it. And then we wonder, how are they going to navigate life without God? But when we train them, when they get old, we've trained them how with God to navigate life. And so we begin to understand that this dedication is not just for the children, but us as parents committing ourselves to the Lord. And so, again, I say all that because, you know, when we're standing up here as a church body, we're, we're certainly praying and celebrating and believing God that there's a plan uh, for little Winston, you know, as he comes. But we're also praying for Michael and Chelsea to say, man, God, they're going to raise him in the way that he should go. Grace them, strengthen them. We're joining together in that agreement as a church family. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I'm telling you what, our culture today is trying to get us to just throw the idea out. They're trying to determine when they think a life is important. But thank God, he says, before you ever form, I know the beginning from the end. I've got plans you don't even know about. He says, before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, which means I already had you set apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You know, we never know at that point in time what God knew about that baby that was conceived, what God has already planned for them. But in baby dedication, we know that God has blessed us with children. We believe that God knew them before the beginning, that God has a plan for them. And so we dedicate ourselves as parents to do our best to raise them according to that plan. But we also say, God, this child is a blessing from you. We dedicate them to that purpose. Because you're not a respecter of persons. If you had a plan for Jeremiah while he was still forming in the womb, you had a plan for my child when he was still forming in the womb. And we dedicate him to that purpose. So why do I tell you all that? Because we're family. I want you to extend your faith with us, with the Colsons as we pray. 
so that you're, in, you're involved, your faith is involved in moving this forward. So little Winston Charles will be able to, to grow and to know God and that Michael and Chelsea will, will just have encouragement from the body as they raise him, as they pray about what's, what's the grace on his life, what's the giftings in him, what's the calling, that they can raise him in that way as they've raised their other children in the way they should go, they, they see a difference and they see the uniqueness of Winston as they dedicate him. So, Michael and Chelsea, why don't you come? All the rest of you, come on. You're part of this. Praise the Lord. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You gonna let me hold you? Been doing any practice here? Turn you around, let you look at this whole group of folks here. Look at them out there. Praise the Lord. Why don't you all stand up, stretch your hands out here as we pray. Father, we're just so grateful. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the anointing of God. You see the beginning from the end. Thank you. You knew little Winston. Yeah, Whitson? Windsor. I'm sorry. Look like an end. I'm sorry. Windsor. We, better, we want to call you by the right name, don't we? Windsor, I thank you, Father. You know, little Windsor Charlie. Char, Charles. <laughs> We're going to rename you. Your name will now be not Abram. I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's rewind. All right, y'all ready? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. God, you know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Your plans, your purposes. You know how to pursue all that you have planned for Windsor. I thank you, Lord God, that your hand is upon him even now. Fathers, we dedicate him to you, Michael and Chelsea, knowing that he's a gift from you, committing their self to raise him in the way that he should go. I thank you, you give them wisdom and understanding concerning the gifts and the strengths that you put on the inside of him. That God, you begin to deal with Windsor even now by your spirit, that when he comes to the age of understanding, he decides to make a decision very simply and easily to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. That he might walk out the fullness of what you have for him and in his generation, be a voice, be a light, be a strength to those around him, no matter what the situations of the day, if Jesus tarries, that he'll rise up and be a strength, a man of God in his generation, to stand tall and to stand out with a boldness and a grace that others would recognize that he is a son of the Most High God. So we dedicate him to your plan and your purpose. We thank you that his parents see and understand the importance of what you've planned for him. And you give them wisdom and grace as they train him, as they walk with him. Give them the words to say as they sit in the house and they walk by the way. As they go to bed and then they wake up, they know exactly how to communicate with Windsor concerning the things of God, that he'll know it and he'll not depart from it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. God bless the baby boy. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Give them a hand as they're being seated. Here's a gift for you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Well, open your Bibles with me to John, 1 John and the first chapter. We have been, glory to God, we have been 
talking about the church. We've been talking about the body of Christ. And uh, as the body comes together and we, have, uh, we recognize and realize that each member, each part of the body has a place. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says that we are members of the body in particular. Our local church vision is that every member in their place, we see the glory of God and possess the land. In other words, when we find our place in the body and how it fits within the local church body, how we fit together and create a greater strength than we could by ourselves, a, a, a resource that begins to expand out, the glory of God is seen. That it's not really about us individually or, or a name on the door, but it's about how God spectacularly and amazingly and uniquely put this group of people together and added that we fit into a place. We're not just trying to come and fulfill a social requirement, or we're not just coming together so that we can tell God when we get to heaven that we went to church, and that was tough for us, and we really made a sacrifice. But God has a better plan than just you having a sacrifice on Sunday morning to take out of your daily schedule. He puts something on the inside of you that begins to fit with others, that begins to create a, a, a uniqueness and a divine plan that you fit in, that not only you fit in, but it fits into a shape that begins to reflect him. And the influence of that, and we may like a, a smaller group where we feel, you know, like everybody knows us and everybody is just together and me, I feel good about me. But God says in that you're so small that sometimes the resource to be able to do something big is not there. And God says, my body is really bigger than you know. And when we can create a resource that's greater and reaching out, even, you know, when we look at Steamboat, they're a smaller church, but they're reaching out to their community. And because we have resources, we can join together. And since we're connected with Craig, they can add resources. And because we have that going together, we're not just one or two, but we have resources, we can join together and we can do more together than we just could individually. We can do more together with 500 than you can do with five. And so, so many times it's just about getting out beyond how I feel about the, the, the closeness of it. And what I do to create a closeness and a unity, even within a larger spectrum of what God is doing. And so God has a great plan for the local church. And again, what we want to realize as we've looked at this and, and begin to navigate some of these things is one, it's so unique. We try to figure it out based on our emotion, based on our feeling, based on the natural man, how we feel about it. But it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's something that God did as we look at our own body and we think, man, we were fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. Then just think about his body. How fearfully and wonderfully made, because here, you know, however we were made for the most part, I mean, I know there's, there's affliction that comes on a body, but, but the head gives signals through the central nervous system, and the heart pumps the blood, and the muscles grow, and they just do it, and you don't even hardly think about it, because it's all part of your body, and your body just kind of submits to it, and that's fearful. We're like, man, that's amazing how all that works. Well, just think with everybody who actually has a choice fitting together as a body. How fearfully and wonderfully and awesomely made the body of Christ actually is. 
And so in that, in, in that uniqueness, sometimes, as we've said, Jesus talked about the church twice, and there is the universal body of Christ. There is the place where every believer from every age and every place will be gathered together at a great church service. In the end, Revelation says, and the Lamb will be right in the midst of us, and God and the throne forever, and it's something to look forward to. It's a future and a hope. That salvation for all, he says, is an anchor. It's, we're anchored to the blood on the mercy seat. We go behind the veil and our hope of eternal life is anchored right there. No matter what happens, we are anchored to that place where the blood is shed. But he said uniquely there is the local church body. And so although we have all of the letters written and they began to be circulated so that, that others could hear the teaching of a certain place, all of the epistles are written to a local church. And so as we begin to see the letters written, we understand that the local church at Corinth had a lot of gifts of the Spirit going on, but a lot of selfishness with those gifts. The church at Corinth had people saying, listen, we got a great teacher, Apollos, over here, and so we don't really need to listen to Paul. And Paul said, wait a minute, let's not get divided, that's immature. But at the same time, I gathered you together in this local church to bring a revelation to you. So Apollos has one thing, I have another, God's working with it together, don't start division because of teaching different doctrine. They had that same thing. He had to address, because guess what? In different churches, local churches, they had people complaining about the ministry. They had people complaining about each other. Huh. So wait a minute, this is the Bible. It's holy. It's holy addressing people who complain. Right? As Pastor Tasha brought so eloquently last week, Two ladies were in an argument, and Paul had to say, come on, we got to get them through this argument, right? So the local church is really the focus so that the local church can be effective in the bigger picture of the universal church, the international church, that we can connect together and have great resources. Again, in Revelation, Jesus visited seven local churches. And he addressed each church. Now, you know, we, I'm with you. Don't, don't misunderstand me at all. But uh, we're just like, man, if Jesus could come. If Jesus, if Jesus could come. Jesus comes to church. And believe it or not, Jesus takes attendance. He knows who's here and who's not. I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just a reality. We read Revelation. Jesus comes. He knows who's here and he's not here. He also knows that upon those local churches, how they started, what grace, what calling, what vision they started with, and they all weren't the same except for preaching the gospel. They had different bents to them. And so he showed up to each local church and he showed up to Ephesus and he said, you all started so awesome. You were passionate about me, and then you started doing good works, and then you started getting tired and getting, uh, uh, you know, thinking about your works and doing your works now out of obligation. He said, return to the passion for me that you once had. 
And just think, I don't think the church at Laodicea ever really thought too much about Jesus showing up. They thought we love God, but we got a great economy. We got some boats down at the lake. You know, we don't really need that much of God or teaching. We're pretty comfortable. And Jesus showed up and he said, here's where you started. Here's where you've come to. You think you got enough money. You got enough stuff. You don't need me. And he said, you don't know how far you've fallen. You're lukewarm. And I'll spit you out of my mouth. He said to others, he said, here's where you started. How great you started. But you allowed another doctrine to come in. And now you're in sexual immorality. You're taking part of things of the world that I never intended. And he said, now, I'm just telling you, I came to church and I saw how things were going. And he said some things were going good, but there were some things and the things that weren't going so good. See, we get into a culture and a thought of like, at least I'm trying. Jesus didn't say, well, here's the things that are good. Here's the things that are bad. At least you're trying. He said, I'm telling you this because the things that you've drifted into will keep your light from influencing the world. He said, I'll have to take your lampstand out. So, you know, there's times as the pastor of New Creation Church, I'm like, I'd like to hear what Jesus has to say. I think we're doing pretty good. And then there's other times I'm glad he's not writing us a letter right now. Because it won't be no lie. Right? And so I just encourage us to try to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Because I believe in what he's been telling us, even from the beginning of the year, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that he has a plan for a revival in this generation, that he wants us to build on a strong foundation, not a weak foundation, that he wants us to return to some things that were in the beginning, that we can begin to see, that we have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. That's what Jesus said. He said, I want you to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, lest you miss what I'm saying, and you're in influence is taken away from you. And if we're not careful, God wants to do something. And the church, this church, and local churches like this church, God has a plan for greater influence to take place, but we're going to have to make some adjustments. Going to have to make some adjustments. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so in talking about the body of Christ and, and coming upon this, 1 John chapter 1 <clears throat> I believe that he's talking about an aspect of this. And without understanding this uh, to a, at least a degree, we can go on and talk about your gifting and your place and that every member is important. But even in that, and we see as Paul wrote to these churches about the specific graces and the functioning of individual members, he always had to follow up with love. Why? Because whenever we just get focused on me, my gift, who's going to recognize me and what I'm doing and how God's touched my life, you're going to run into the opportunity for offense. The enemy's going to try to divide. And again, as Pastor Tasha brought to us last week, uh, something that uh, Lester Summerall said, that the gifts of the Spirit. See, right now, we're, I believe God wants to stir up some gifts. I believe that he wants to manifest uh, those nine manifestations of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit a little bit more. But if there's not love and unity, 
If we get so concerned on are the gifts going to manifest, move over, I got a gift, then we're probably not going to see that flow. And there's something supernatural that God wants to do within the body. I believe it with all of my heart to create a great strength and a great likeness of himself. Say, well, how's that going to happen? I know it's supernatural, right? Can't tell you. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. I really can't. When I pray, I start to see something that God is doing. It's like the body's trying to come together. And then if I get into my mind, I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to work. I'm not seeing it. But if I stay a little longer, I start seeing some things come together. And they lose their, their natural shape. They begin to morph into him. We lose our self. We lose our identity. We even lose a, a portion of my gift. We don't, lose a, we don't lose it, right? It is. But how it morphs because it's him. It's him. It's God in me. It's him in me that's doing the work. It's him that's deposited the gift in me. And so there's something about the individualism, but there's something about the collective whole that is him. And he wants to do something in him and in his body and the new life that we have. We've been engrafted in him. We're new creations in Christ. And so the body is just such a place. It's such a place as that to realize my new life in Christ. Because it's supernatural. We can't understand it. So he uses all the analogies of the body and the bride and the, the, the building and the family. Just trying to pull it all together and somehow that we might get a little revelation that it's beyond our ability to put it together. If we allow him, he begins to show us and he begins to take this new life in Christ and mold it in and through the church. Saying that when I rescued you, when you said, I get it, he shed his blood for me. Be the Lord of my life. You've purchased my life. He picks you up out of your old human life. And he engrafts you in himself, in his body. And within his body, there's all the dynamics of the old man and the old life that now have to be changed. So he puts you with a group of people who now have in, on the inside of them Christ, and they are in Christ. They're in the body. But when you come together, you're going to rub up against each other. And when you do, and he looks at Justin, looks at you in a way that you're like, hmm. The old man wants to get offended, but now is our opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to say, don't do that. That is not who you are anymore. Sometimes we're like, you know, I'm offended and I'm, I'm done and I quit. That's just who I am. No, it isn't. If you cling to that old man, we'll never get the understanding and revelation that we truly are new creations in Christ. And so we're always going to be challenged to go above and beyond the old human nature. Why? Because we're no longer just 
human. We've been born again of the Spirit of God. There's something in us that's supernaturally working that fits. There's something supernaturally that fits with Justin that's in me. It just fits. But he might go, yeah, it ain't fitting today. I shouldn't have sat in the front row. And I'm trusting that he's not going to go, I'm embarrassed, and leave the church. I'm just trusting God in this. I love Justin. I've known him for a while, but I don't know him well enough to call him out in church. But I'm trusting. Because you know what? In that moment, he may go, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. I've never been called out. And leave. But no, God wants to say, don't be embarrassed. Pastor Mark loves you. He wouldn't call you out except for he loves you. He trusts you. When he goes, oh, yeah, I need to get through that. Somebody loves me. Because the enemy's going like, no, he's embarrassing you, man. That's what the enemy wants to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's saying he loves you. But why would he call you out if he loves you? Why would he embarrass you if he loves you? Because I love you. Everybody needs to be embarrassed once or twice. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there's something because it's the same life in a different individual that fits together. It's the body. It's the body. So I'm part of the universal body. I got it. I understand that. But he brought you here for a reason. To challenge some old man things to be changed. So that you can be more like him. And together, just think about it, the more each one of us becomes like him, the more we become like him. So we can't, we want to understand what he did for us individually, but what he did for us individually was not to stand alone, but to be fit in him. That it wouldn't be us that was seen, but him that is seen. That makes sense. All right, so 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. John says this, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write to you that your joy may be full. The things I'm telling you about us being linked together is so that your joy might be full, not so that you might be depressed, not so that you might go, God, now this is going to take some work, and now, uh, no, so that your joy may be full. That as we learn some things, we have fellowship together, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. He said, this message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Everybody say light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God wants something to take place in his body that is so supernatural, it's so moving. But he says, how does this fellowship, this union to where the, the blood of Christ begins to flow in such a powerful way take place? 
So I, I was just thinking about this as we can look at this and to just talk about light in, in different ways. So Kenneth Weiss, his word study of the Greek, I'm going to read from that uh, concerning this portion. It says, God as a person has a character or nature that partakes of light. That light, of course, is not physical light. For John, in the context, is speaking of spiritual things. The light is ethical, spiritual, and moral. Then John strengthens his assertion by saying, and darkness in him does not exist, not even one bit. So he's addressing with this church, he's addressing in this letter, his epistle, some things that are going on. In that, uh, uh, they have been affected by a teaching, anonymism, which came from Nicol the Nicolaitans, which you can read about uh, in uh, the churches there in in uh, Revelation, the Nicolaitans had a whole doctrine, and the doctrine was, uh, really, they came in under Christ, but in that, there became a liberality and sexual immorality, and things took place, and they began to say, we're free, it does not matter what we do, and in that, they begin to say that God is not really absolutely good. There's not really an absolute in God. Anybody hear any of that stuff, maybe even around today? So he's addressing this truth in the absoluteness of who God is. That there's no darkness in him. There's no, uh, uh, you know, as we see, uh, uh, James wrote, there's no shadow of turning in God. Right? And he's trying to let us know that it does matter how you live. It does matter how you live. That if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship. But if we're not walking in the light, we're in darkness, we don't really have fellowship. Even if we say we have fellowship, we're not really having fellowship. And so he, he goes on, he says, a statement, this is a statement of the absolute nature of God. God is light in his very nature. The expression is not a metaphor. All that we are accustomed to uh, all that we are accustomed to term light in the domain of the creature, whether with a physical or metaphysical meaning, is only an effluence of that one and only primitive light which appears in the nature of God. So he said, listen, in this place that he's talking, it's not just a metaphor. He's talking about God and his whole nature is light. It's light. It's, it has effluence. It has something that comes out, is, is projected from it. Right? It says light, this light is immaterial. It diffuses. How it diffuses is pure and glorious. In, li in the life of God, he diffuses something. And what he diffuses is pure and it's glorious. It is the very condition of life. God's light is the very condition of life. Physically, it represents glory. Physically, it represents glory. Intellectually, truth. Morally, holiness. God's diffusing, right? 
He's doing something. He's letting something come out, and it's totally pure. It's glory. It's truth. It's holiness. As immaterial, it corresponds to God as spirit. He's the father of spirits. Relating to us in that. And as it diffuses this, it diffuses God as love. God as love. And that God's love is the condition of life. Come on, it's taking every realm. It's taking intellectually, physically, morally into all the account. And as it comes forth from God, it's his love. And that love is the very condition of life. So there's something important about knowing the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And being able to operate as a body in that love. And in that place where in that love and unity, God and supernatural things can take place. Not just hoping that supernatural things take place, but knowing they take place because we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. That love is the condition of life to God as life is pure and illuminating. And it's to, as it pertains to God, it's holiness and truth. So when it says God is light, it's talking about God is holy, God is true, God is spirit, God is life, God is love, God is holy, and God is glorious. Huh. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Say, dear Lord, have mercy. Come on, listen, this is the whole gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. He is truth and he is life and he lives on the inside of you. He is pure and holy, so he's washed you from all sin. It's right there in the gospel. It's not like I can't do it. It's right there in the gospel. He's done it for us. For what reason? That we might have a deep fellowship with him. John, 1 John, the second chapter. 1 John, the second chapter. The ninth verse. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's so many people who don't know where they're going today. And there's so many reasons to understand this, that that darkness is a place of deception. It's a place of ignorance. And when we come to the point of we just say, you know what, I don't hate anybody. I just don't like some people. In the context, and when you study this out, as John wrote it, he's, he's basically saying, if you're not in the light, you are in darkness. If you don't love your brethren, you hate them. Because he's not using hate in the way that I just hate you. He says that word hate is that you despise them. Which means what? You lowly esteem them. So he says, when we're living in the body and we say, listen, I'm in love with God. 
but you know, you're not all that valuable. That's how this ties with 1 Corinthians. That I cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. I can't think you lower than myself. We have to esteem each one the same. Why? Strictly because of love. Not because of position. Not because of responsibility. Not because of function. Those are all different. But the value of each one is the same. Why is it the same? Because the same price was paid for each one. Your value has already been established. It doesn't matter what has happened to you. It doesn't matter what somebody has said about you. It doesn't matter what somebody has done to you. Your value was established by God when he sent Jesus and he shed his blood. We're all valued the same. So he says, listen, you can't lowly esteem or lesser value someone and say that I love God and I'm walking in the light. Come on, God's doing something big in his church. I already told you, well, I'm going to go out of here. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know the people I work with. Come on, you don't know what's happened to me in church. See, the devil wants you to look at those things so you can start to say, yeah, but not that person and not that person. And there's some things that are done wrong. And we could go all day trying to explain things that have happened. Or we could just stop and say, thank God for the blood of Jesus. And the price that he put on every single person. And I can value that and work from there. Instead of saying, I'm working from all these other places and never getting there. It's the enemy that says, oh, take all the account of all the bad people in your life and never know that you, you can never esteem them very highly. Don't start there. Start at the price of the blood of Jesus and work out and understand why people have issues, why people have problems, because we can work together. And we're new in that nature. We're new in how we view it. We're new in how we understand the power of the blood of Jesus. so powerful. How many of you want fellowship with the Father and the Son? Come on, he wants fellowship with us more than we want it with him. He said, but I can't get on board with you when you take somebody that I love and you say they're not as valuable as you. Listen to this. This is from the Passion Translation, Colossians chapter 3. Again, speaking that we can walk in the light as he is in the light because of what he's done for us. He said, you are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with the virtues of God. Since you have been divinely chosen to be holy, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Unoffendable in your patience with others. Why? Because as John Bevere brings out, that offense is such a trap that will hold you back. Take it from me. There's a number of people in this church and many other churches that desire to have a higher ministry call or position. Just take it from me and not that I'm perfect. But if you're easily offendable, it's going to be a long road. Well, you're the minister. Everybody loves you. 
Yeah, you should spin that wheel one more time. Every day, every way, somebody's got an opinion. We walk in that. He says, I got a place where you don't have to take everything that's being said because we're not working in what everybody else thinks about us. We're living in the virtues of God. Unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Christ Jesus. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. We're not talking about superficial love. We're talking about this very character and life and nature of God. That he's developing on the inside of us as we let the Holy Spirit do that. As we challenge ourselves to walk in love. And you don't really even have to be challenged. You just have to be here today. Thank you for coming. If you're listening at all to this word, you will be challenged in your love walk, most likely before Wednesday. There's a good chance before you even get out the door. So we are going to have to resolve within ourselves. And I challenged last Sunday night for people to do this, to break out 1 Corinthians chapter 13. List all the things that love does do and doesn't do and put a little square by it and start checkmarking honestly with yourself to say, I really want to grow in the love of God and I'm not very patient with people and I like to take an account of wrong done to me. I still can remember what was done to me 27 years ago. And so you're checking off and if all of a sudden, if you're honest, there's more check marks on what love doesn't do than what love does do, then you know, Holy Ghost, I need some help. Thank God you're my helper. I don't have to do this by myself. If you honestly have more things on the love side than what love doesn't do, then you're already going, thank you, Jesus, for helping me because there's no way I could be here without you. But he's talking about a place where if we don't deceive ourselves that we're honest and we do a takeaway, we actually this week do a takeaway from the message and say, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to work on this. I want fellowship with God. I want fellowship with the body. I want fellowship with the Father. I want that koinonia, that intimacy, that depth of relationship, that shared responsibility. That's what it means. Not just intimacy, it means shared responsibility. I want that with the Father. I want that with my church body. I want to love each other. I want that koinonia with the Father, with the Son, with my fellow believers. Then I can't deceive myself and say, man, I love God and I'm walking in the light. Until I check my heart. Say, I'm laying aside things that I might have against people. I'm giving it to you. Why? Because in that fellowship, the blood of Jesus begins to flow. It begins to flow in a supernatural way that cleanses us from sin. Things we don't know, things that we're like, I don't know if that's right or wrong. The blood is working to cleanse. The blood of Jesus and faith in his blood. We've kind of got away from that. We're looking at our gifts. We're looking at our callings. We're looking at how do we, how do we get outside. And, and I'm all for that because I know there's a day coming when all that's happening. But he said all these gifts without love and unity, without understanding how the Spirit of God really moves and what atmosphere he moves in, 
We're not going to see the true glory. Men might get credit. Organizations might be, get credit. But he says, I want to move and all the glory go to Jesus. Through his body. So Hebrews chapter 9, we'll close right here. So I'm going to give you a couple takeaways. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Make your checklist. Be honest with yourself. Areas that you're like, wow, love doesn't do that. I can see now why people don't feel like I love them. You can work on it. Don't quit. He'll help you. Why? Because the more we get in that place of love, you sense a greater fellowship. You sense a greater intimacy with him. When you do, your confidence in who you are raises and your interaction with others is much more easy. Our, our interaction becomes complicated because of our insecurities. But when perfect love casts out fear, our interaction is easier. We're talking to Mark Hankins this week. I know I have to close. Uh, uh, we're talking to him this week. He made an interesting comment. Man, it just it, it, it floored me, and I had to th I've been thinking about it all the way through because when I, when I came out of Raymond and I came here, man, I studied the love of God. I, God told me, study the love of God. I didn't know why I studied it. I studied it. I studied it. I studied it. And then I became a pastor, and I knew why I was studying that. <clears throat> but really, when I started pastoring and stuff, it never entered, it really never entered my mind that people didn't like me. I'm a likable guy. And really, until people told me people didn't like me, it really didn't bother me. So he said, Brother Hagin said this. He said, Brother Hagin said that to say you're walking in love and look at somebody and think they don't like you is not love. Because love thinks no evil, and the moment you think somebody doesn't like you, you're thinking evil of them. Now, just hold on for a minute. I've been thinking about that going, oh, first of all, like, oh, dear God, how did I get there? Because I used to think everybody liked me, and now I'm not sure. So I've just gone to him and said, help me get back there, because it's certainly a lot. I mean, just stay with me for a moment. How liberating to just walk up and have conversation with people and not have in the back of your mind, I bet they don't like me. That messes everything up. If you think they like you, just think how easy it will be to share the gospel with somebody. Well, I can't share the gospel. They won't like me. Not if you don't think that way. So this creates a great confidence, and the blood starts to flow. And we'll have to get to that. But I want to, I want to share this with you because we're going to concentrate on the love of God. And then this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of the bulls and goats... And the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. In other words, if, if the blood of animals can purify the outward man, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much? Say it again, how much more? How much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He said, listen, we got things that we got. You did this, you did that, I did this, I'm busy. When we stop and go, the blood of Jesus cleansed my conscience from all my mistakes, all the situations, and I'm ready to serve God. My conscience is clean. One of the greatest hindrances to the body of Christ is sin consciousness. People will, people will twist that. Well, see, you're just making an excuse to go out and do wrong because you need to know that you sin. I know I sin. But the blood, if we have faith in the blood, the blood cleanses us from all sin. He didn't just stop there. He said, listen, if we've brought our sin to him, he's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he says, when I cleanse you, I forgive you. And when I forgive you, I cast it as far as the east is from the west, and I don't remember it anymore. So in God's consciousness, you are righteous. He says, if I could just get you over out of your sin consciousness, who you used to be, the mistakes that you have made, and the enemy bombarding you, and you understand, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, people just think that, and then they'll just go and sin. No, they won't. That's your sin consciousness. Did you not know that righteousness is not sin? So if I am righteous, I'm not going to sin. Come on, well, let's let that work. If we're here till 1230, it's just because you're thinking about it. No, 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 that's not true. That's how these Christians just, no, they don't have. They have a sin consciousness. They're trying to stop sinning. Or they don't have a righteousness consciousness that says, I have now been washed of all sin and I walk my life with God. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted. That doesn't mean you won't make a mistake. But when you do, you're right back to saying, I don't want to do that. It's not pleasing to you. Forgive me. I've been washed by the blood. Come on, when the blood starts to flow, for you, he wants to cleanse your conscience. But listen, so often in the body, if we're not careful, if we're not proactive in living for God, we have a consciousness because we're a little insecure. Yeah, but I'm not as bad as you. Do you know what they did? Did you see them? What's that? Sin consciousness. But when we love one another, we have fellowship with him. The faith that the blood it's cleansed each one. Because if it cleansed me, it cleansed you. Well, then why isn't he living that way? Because he doesn't know how much it cleansed him. So I get to help him. Not talk about all the wrong he's doing, but what Jesus did, what the blood did. What the blood did. Not what I did. Not what you did. But what the blood did. Come on, we have fellowship.
with the Father and with the Son. Koinonia. Well, good. I love everybody. I just don't like them all. Come on, just go home and work on some stuff. Because he says, we know that we pass from death to life. Not because we walked the front one Sunday. It's where we entered in. That's where we made him Lord of our life. But we know we pass through the threshold. Come and be Lord of my life. Come in and cleanse me. Forgive me of my sin that really has its core in my selfishness. Come in. Jesus, I love you. Thanks for cleansing me. How do I know I stepped over the threshold? Because I love the brethren. Not because I prayed a prayer. Not because I went to church every Sunday. I know that something changed inside of me because I love the brethren, the body. Why don't you stand up? God's good. So when you're tempted in 25 minutes <laughs> to think you can't do something, you're not worthy, you've made too many mistakes, stop and plead the blood. I might think I'm not worthy, but Jesus, by his blood, made me worthy. Because of what you know you've done, the enemy tries to say, this is what you do. Go ahead and do it. He'll forgive you later. Say, why would I get on that end of it? He's already forgiven me. I'm not doing it. Start practicing. The blood has cleansed my conscience of the old sinful nature. Come on, just love. Let the blood flow. Father, I thank you right now. In a way we don't understand, that blood of Jesus supernaturally flowing right now through this congregation. And as it flows, it begins to wash things in our consciousness. Things that have hindered us in our thought life, always holding us back, always stopping us from moving forward in our service of you. All that place that would make me feel not worthy or continue in that same cycle of sin. Right now by the anointing, by the blood of the Lamb, bring a consciousness of the blood and the cleansing of the blood. Holy Spirit, let it wash that consciousness away. That there's such a forgetfulness of sin for everybody in this room. They may not know what to do tomorrow. They'll have to depend upon you because they're not doing what they've been doing. They're not thinking what they've been thinking because their conscience is now clean. Help us. It's not natural. Supernatural. What a confidence. What a confidence. What a love. What a unity comes to your body in the knowledge of the blood. So thank you for helping us understand your love, that we might have fellowship and the blood begins to cleanse like never before, that we are fully equipped 
and ready, purified, ready to work with you in these last days. As your body in a revival that will reach the world. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. We'll say this as we go. Oh, I want, oh yeah, I want to exhort you in this. Ladies' conference is coming up. And so, ladies, you don't want to miss that. October 9th is the Sunday after that. Just want to let you know, we've been talking about uh, the body. We started with the understanding that they took communion. And uh, there was many weak and sick because they didn't discern the Lord's body. But I believe we've come to a point of understanding. So October 9th, we're going to uh, take communion together in both services. So I just tell you that so you can be thinking about the things that we've talked about, meditating on them. I believe that when we come, and we're discerning the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that even healings will take place in taking communion. Restoration, vision for the future, things will happen because we're not feeling weak and wore out, that we have a uh, we understand what we're partaking of. Amen? Just want to let you know about that. Say this as we go. Uh, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.